voice finds you well this evening. Welcome back to my home. This is Cheshire's Place. As always, I am your host, the melodious one, Mr. Cheshire. You can always find me in my small little corner of internet wonderland by clicking a like on the Facebook group page, Cheshire's Place, a looking glass in illogical madness. You can listen to this episode and all other content on Anchor.fm, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and many other platforms. And if you ever feel like dropping a line, saying hi, or giving any thoughts or suggestions for upcoming episodes, feel free to email me at cheshirelookingglass at gmail.com, or you can follow me on Twitter at Place Cheshire. So here we are, here we are, here we are. Another geek-tastic Thursday night as we veer down that rabbit hole to view something in the world of the nerds. Now granted, I'm not a nerd, I'm a geek, but hey... There's a kinship. So tonight, we're going to be discussing, in honor of International Women's Month, female superheroes. Now, female superheroes are just as powerful, strong, motivational, 
and prolific as their male counterparts. They have a lot of history within the comic books and also in movies, film. Movies and films are the same. Sorry. Movies, TV, <clears throat> music, um, video games, comic books, manga. The list goes on. And with this, I think it's time that we give homage to some of our favorite female superheroes, ranging from Marvel, DC, and other publications, whether they're American-based, international-based, or even going into manga. There's a lot of female superheroes that we can discuss. We're going to try to condense it down a little bit and talk about some of our favorites. And what I mean by our is that I have my co-host with me. He is my best friend. He is my hetero life mate. He is the man, the myth, the legend, Monkey. How's it going, brother? Oh, it's going. Thanks again for having me, Cheshire. Hey, it's always a blast. You know you know, you have to be here, especially on Thursdays. Whether I want to be or not, I get kidnapped and brought over, and I get tied up to this chair. Um, please send help. Okay. One, I mean, folks. Uh, I don't have a gun to my head. No, he doesn't. Please help. Please help me. Oh. Don't, don't believe Blink it. Blink twice. Blink twice. Oh. You know they can't <clears throat> see you on here, right? Oh, yeah. We don't have the camera set up for that. You hear that blinking? It goes blink, 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 blink. Yeah, it ain't helping. <laughs> don't, don't worry. Monkey is just <clears throat> a little happy today. I'm always happy, as you can tell. Once again, we don't have cameras. So... <clears throat> Female superheroes, man. I mean, we know them. We love them. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of rich history with them. Yes. And it is definitely time that we cover them and give them due justice. Justice, yes. Speaking of justice, I know you have some things to talk about. Yes. So here we go with our favorite Thursday evening segment, Monkey Coconut News. Welcome to Monkey Coconut News. I am Monkey. So I got a couple of things today. Um, first thing I'm going to talk about, uh, kind of went back about a week or so ago, um, there was a uh, computer company that kind of got some some major heat on online about a week or so ago called um, Artesian Builds. Um, the background behind this was that they, they build computers and whatnot, and they did what was kind of like a partnership program on Twitch, where if you were a partner of theirs, you put like their logo in your in your bio or whatever. And apparently every month they'd have like a drawing for everyone that was a partner to them where they would win a computer from them. Well, about a week ago, the, uh, the winner had been selected, but then they were told that, oh, you don't have enough subscribers. And so we're not going to give you the computer. And they basically talked about it on Twitter, and then the CEO of Artesian uh, put out, like, a video kind of doing a, a non-apology, basically, and saying, yeah, da 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 basically was kind of picking apart on why they didn't get it, which was, all again, all this stuff was not mentioned in any of their, quote-unquote, rules for the giveaway. Um, well, just as of yesterday, apparently, excuse me. Uh, apparently, I guess they just recently got shut down and closed. 
and they have let go of all the staff. They sent out a mass email or a, a Slack message or whatever on their Slack channel or whatever, saying that they were going to restructure and whatnot. And apparently they got shut down for the CEO either had some tax evasion or tax fraud issues. So, yeah, that was a, a good, quick, uh, not even a, a little bit over a week turnaround to they they messed with some people, uh, a small streamer, and apparently the uh, the the backfall of everyone else jumping on talking about them. They people found some information and apparently sent it up to the right people, and they're like, "Yeah, um, we're shutting you down." <clears throat> See, <clears throat> relating this story, a as podcasters, streamers, you have to be careful on who you make deals with, and if there is a contract involved. Read the fine print. Well, and again, like they said, they none of this information about their their channel size or anything else wasn't even part of the supposed rules, quote unquote, of the giveaway. So false advertisement all around. Pretty much, they, they basically were like, "Well, we want to, we want more, you know, people to hear about us, but uh, we're, we're giving away stuff to people for 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 you know helping us out, but." Oh, we don't think you're making enough people for for us, so you're not important. See, that that's just screwed up. I mean, if you're going to do a giveaway for people who are trying to help you support your product and everything, follow through with it. Don't right. try to have any hidden clauses or anything relating to that because, you know, shady big business practices all or, around. Or be upfront about <clears throat> what you you want to be in your stuff. Exactly. Honesty. Honesty and business goes a long way. I don't know what business you've been in, but okay. So <laughs> I, I'm I'm trying to be a little <laughs> nice about this. Now, granted, there's a lot of companies out there that will just take advantage of individuals within the social media realm, yeah. and <clears throat> you know it's upsetting because a lot of people put time and effort into their product and trying to help these companies out with you know, whatever. Right. And they get, for the lack of a better term, they get screwed. Right. And uh, again, also the other thing to look at is with this artesian builds place, they, they, they build computers, you know, for people. And apparently they still had some orders that were pending to be made. So, yeah. So I, I'm assuming that there's going to be a lot of people saying, Hey, I want my money back right now. Right. So they're going to be looking at bankruptcy. They're going to be looking at a lot of issues. Oh, yeah. And of course the CEO you know, he may serve some jail time. Possibly. And again, it's uh, apparently this company is based out of California. So even even more craziness for them, probably. Oh, for those who do not know the um, the laws relating to taxes in California is extremely strict. So um, California is all sorts of craziness. Yeah. 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 You, you can defecate anywhere. But uh, yeah, don't forget to do your taxes, apparently. Yeah, we're not going to talk about that fully, but anyways, let's continue on. Speaking of defecation, <clears throat> um, <clears throat> well, other piece of rule, uh, news, um, uh, Josie Smollett has officially gotten his sentence today, and it is a bit of a doozy. A lot of people were surprised. He got, he's getting 150 days in jail, 30 months probation, he has to pay $106,000 in restitution, and $25,000 in fines. For his, uh, you know, fake hate crime report. So, yeah, he's um, got some things that are going on, and uh, apparently they had a, a live stream of the the court when he when this was announced, 
And the first thing he did, and a lot of people said that's kind of weird, but you can see why. Uh, he shouted at the top of his lungs, I'm not suicidal, I'm not thinking of harming myself, etc., etc. So, um, essentially, it is his uh, plea to say that he's not going to get, quote-unquote, Epstein, as people will say. Right. And <clears throat> I can understand from his part why he would want to do that, because... You know, with what he did. Right. You know, someone probably would, you know, strike out against him. Right. So by doing this, it really shows that he understands the situation he's in. Right. And then, of course, it uh, doesn't help his case at all when he apparently showed up late to his sentencing. So, yeah. And a lot of people didn't think that he was going to get any jail time because apparently the before the, the sentence was, was handed down, the judge gave like a 45-minute speech talking stuff. So they were thinking, oh, God, no, he's just going to get let go. He's not going to get anything. He's, he's probably just going to get slapped on the wrist. But, no, they, they actually gave him jail time and probation as a felon. And so that means he's probably got to check on the probation officer all the time. And, of course, the fees and fines, which... Uh, that doesn't include, obviously, paying his lawyer fees that he probably had because he had at least a couple lawyers that I saw from the video footage. I mean, I didn't really follow it very closely, but when I saw the, the footage that they were showing, he had at least a good two or three lawyers there. So, And for if you think about it, the start of the case was about, what, a year ago? Roughly, when they started yeah. working the, the case information out? Yep. So, uh, yeah, if you know any legal fees-wise, that's quite a bit. My my own personal experience about a uh, about three months or four months of legal fees in my area was about four thousand um, dollars, and that's uh, that's just up here in a almost nothing area where it's uh, not as high of a cost of living. So considering this case was taking place in Chicago, I'm gonna assume at least probably that much, bare minimum for probably a week up there, probably for their legal fees. Right. So For each lawyer, <clears throat> each. And, you know, because he's a movie star, quote unquote, TV star, it, they these are probably a lot higher priced lawyers. So hopefully he managed to be smart and save his money and not blow it off because, um, yeah, he's going to have a lot of fees to pay, a lot of restitution. You know, honestly, for what occurred and for what he tried to do, this is karma. Right. Now, granted, you know, he is getting the jail time and everything. Part of me wishes it was a little bit more. Right. Especially with the timing of everything that happened because all the stuff that happened in Minneapolis with George Floyd and everything and the protesting, the rioting. Mm -hmm. And he tried capitalizing on that. Right. And in a way, it makes me feel kind of sick that a quote-unquote TV star right. would have to do that for more recognition. And sadly, I didn't even know his name was until they started talking about it. I only learned his name through uh, to da- through David Chappelle. Yeah, true. I mean, even though he was calling him, you know, Juicy Smollett, you know, because he's a French guy, you yeah, know, poor guy. <clears throat> uh, shout out to <coughs> Dave Chappelle if you ever listen to my podcast. Um, one day I'd like to have you on if I ever become rich and famous. Just saying, but I, I think we might get pulled if we have him on. 
Yeah, true. We probably would. All right. So, any other news for us tonight, Monkey? That is all I got. That just a lot of just not very big things. I at least I didn't think it was very big. You know, everything else is kind of basically common knowledge. That was some of that was probably common knowledge as well, but just a, a little bit of quote unquote entertainment news there. I guess you can say. Right. 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 So, female comic book ter- characters. Right. You know, there's tons of them out there. Some of them very prolific. You know, been around for decades. Right. So, I figure we'll start with DC Comics. Okay. Because, I mean, DC Comics has a lot of female superheroes that have been, in a way, trailblazers. Right. And the most notable one that we have to talk about is, of course, part of the DC Trinity, Wonder Woman. All right. I mean, actually, I'm going to bring up something real quick because because I want to read something relating to Wonder Woman. Now, the thing is about Wonder Woman, she was actually... Hold on, where is it? Come on. Gammon. Not the movie. I don't care about the movie. Hold on. Um, So, Monkey, overall, your view of Wonder Woman, while I'm doing this little part. Well, Wonder Woman, obviously, has a very rich history in comic books. I want to say she dates back to early 70s, if not late 60s. Um, uh, Obviously, she got a lot of big headway because she was actually one of the first comic book female characters to get an actual TV series based off of her, which was played by Linda Carter in the TV series. One of the best TV series ever, and I probably am one of the first few people who will say that I enjoyed watching it, even though it came out prior to my birth, but I got to catch a lot of the classic reruns on, like, Sci-Fi Channel and whatnot later on, just like with the Incredible Hulk series and and other shows like that that came out about the same time frame. All right, so... <clears throat> This is the thing about Wonder Woman. Wonder Woman was created in 1942. Oh, 42. Well, I'm way off. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're, well, you're she, definitely... she got her major headway then in the 60s. And... Now, the creator oh, of Woman, Wonder Woman was a secret for a while, right. but <clears throat> it turned out to be Dr. William Moulton Marston, who is an internationally famous psychologist. Mm-hmm. So, the reason why... He created Wonder Woman. Actually, here we go. Sorry. Yeah, 41. Yeah. Trying to bring it here. That's right. I forgot the whole original Steve Trevor thing. It was a World War II pilot, right? Yep. Yep. So. Yep. So he wanted to do. Oh, hold on. Not quite going where you thought I was going. <laughs> so I'm reading this, and Marston was hired as a consultant. In 1940. Mm-hmm. And this man has done what he called an experimental life. He was a lawyer, a scientist, and a professor. Um, he was generally credited with inventing the lie detector test. Because hmm. he was obsessed with uncovering other people's secrets. He was a consultant, uh, consulting psychologist for Universal Pictures. He written screenplays, a novel, a dozen of movie and magazine articles. Um, <clears throat> this man has done a lot in... Wow. 
So I'm trying to see where it was the reason why he created Wonder Woman. Where is it? Where is it? I want to say it was probably something along the lines of to see the psychological process of people, of a woman hero being the primary focus on things, as opposed to being usually the male-dominated world as it was during the 40s. So... In February 1941, Marston submitted a draft of his first script explaining the undermeaning of Wonder Woman's Amazonian origins in ancient Greece, where men had kept women in chains until they broke free and escaped. Quote, the new women, thus freed and strengthened by supporting themselves on Paradise Island, developed an enormous physical and mental power. His comic, he said, was meant to chronicle a great movement now underway, the growth in the power of women. So, in a way, he understood what women were trying to do. Because during the time they were, like, you have women's suffrage that was going on in the 1920s. It was increasing in the 1940s where women were actually working more high prolific jobs in medicine and science, education, even running for Congress and House of Representatives. So, this was pretty much his ode to show the strength of women. Right. Which, by it's amazing. Now, <clears throat> here's the thing. At the beginning of 1942, um, an artist by the name of Harry G. Peter was the one who drew Wonder Woman, wearing her signature gold tiara, a red bustier, blue underpants, and knee-high red leather boots. Which back then was considered still pretty risky back then. Yeah. Even though they were like, you know, the... The shorts as opposed to, you know, later on kind of developing more into like the leotard style and then even some later time after that adding the skirt and other things like that. Right. So she was a little slinky. She was very kinky. This is what's (laughs) in this. This is from the Smithsonian Magazine. Right. Talking about Wonder Woman. She'd left paradise to fight fascism with feminism in America, the last citadel of democracy and of equal white rights for women. Right. So, and people tried to blacklist the comic because Wonder Woman was not sufficiently dressed. Right. And that's why I said, again, the, the, the shorts, you know, kind of, kind of similar to what people would call booty shorts these days, but still, it was still obviously a little bit more covering was still very risque at the time in in combination with the the bustier which is essentially the like a lingerie top and then the the knee-high boots you know obviously it was all kind of a it had a, a picture to it if you really think about it and it's like looking at that today people don't even bat an eye but looking at back then that's like basically looking at an almost naked woman right exactly so there's more relating to her backstory. Um, this is pre-52, right. mind you. So, boom, 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 boom. Looking, looking. All right, so we talked about her creation a little bit. I mean, she was meant to be the female version of Superman. Essentially, yeah. And they did actually put her in the skirt after everyone saying that she wasn't mod- modestly dressed. Right. So... The golden age is when she really began to flourish. Um, mainly the, mon- the bronze age. Yeah. 
So the Bronze Age is when she first started. The Bronze Age of comics is when she started. The Golden Age is when she slowly started getting into her stride. And then the Silver Age is mainly relating to the 80s. So there's a lot of stories that happen with her. Um, the Silver Age is what happened started in like 1956. Uh-huh. So the 50s and 60s. And it was during the 60s where they decided to depower Wonder Woman and pretty much go with the Mod Squad motif where she's wearing the white jumpsuit and more in a spy role. Right, yeah, because then they start kind of making it more akin to, like, the um, Agent Moneypenny or, you know, basically, like, the uh, James Bond-style stuff. Even though that wasn't around at the time, it was... Well, I guess the classic Avengers show was yeah. around back then, which is, you know, the spy show. Not not to be confused with the comic book, the Avengers, but the, the classic spy show in, in, in England and all that area. Which, by the way, the Avengers, the spy show was absolutely amazing. Is How Now Bronco. How Now yep. Bronco. That was amazing. So, and even up to, like... The new fifty two, which mm-hmm. honestly I'm not gonna talk about the new fifty two. Yeah, that, that one that that's that's a shark jump and a half. Yeah. Now we can say that, you know, with all the changes that Wonder Woman had, you know, from her beginnings fighting into World War Two to leading into her mod squad phase to her regaining her bow- powers being retconned due to um crisis of on infinite earths right. and Going on, she is so notable in everything that she does. I mean, she is like the pillar of women's strength, power, and pride. Right. Again, like I said, it it was like early or late 60s, early 70s. They had the the television series based off of Wonder Woman, which, again, that's one of the first comic book-based female heroes that was a a focus of the actual show as opposed to it being – you know, like Superman or Batman or even, you know, you know, the uh, Spider-Man or Hulk shows. Right. I mean, <clears throat> even now to today's movies about her, you know, with Gal Gadot, mm-hmm. I mean, it's just shows how influential Wonder Woman is. Right. I mean, in movies, of course. Right. In music. Mm-hmm. You know, there's people in TV <clears throat> series that pay homage to Wonder Woman. Yeah. And anytime you see in a show or someone turn, does a quick spin around and get changed suit, that's uh, an homage to the classic Wonder Woman series. That's how she changed from her quote unquote civilian clothes into her Wonder Woman outfit. Exactly. So, starting off the list with Wonder Woman is right. It's fitting because she is she is in right the pure symbol of women's strength. Unless you look at some of the other weird, crazy things that were going on with the comics where she would have her weakness of being, you know, if she gets ordered by a man, she has to do it. Or just the uh, couple of covers where essentially it looks like she was a a, a, a sub for, for a S&M thing. Every time she got tied up by, by her own rope of all things, her own lasso. Yeah. Now, <laughs> granted, there was that time where she was considered a... Um, a mascot for the BDSM community. Right. Now, we won't dive too much into that one. That's for another time. Because there's a lot of comic book characters that have underlying tones relating into the lifestyle. And we're not here to discuss that right now. 
Not today, at least. Not today. Not today. Another time. So, Monkey. Yes. For DC Comics, what female superhero can you think of? Well, I would say one of the other strongest female superhero characters in the DC Universe has to be Zatanna. You know, the, the super mage magician girl who all of, her, all of her spells are based off of her saying things backwards. Um, if you have to put her on a power scale level, if you think about it, she is essentially a potential cosmos breaker because anything she can say, she can make happen. Right. And as long as she has the will and determination to do so. And again, they have shown in some of the more recent uh, Justice League Dark comics and whatnot, where obviously she's pushing herself to do some of her things and... Obviously, the only main weakness she really has, outside of technically just being a normal human, outside of having the magic abilities, is if you get her mouth shut. Which, at one point, a character did something that made her essentially seal her mouth shut with with her own skin, mm-hmm. to which she actually ended up cutting a hole in her own mouth so she can say her spells. Which then made it like, wow, she just became a super badass right there. Exactly. So Zontana was created in 1964 by writer Gardner Fox and artist Murphy Anderson when it was decided that DC needed a magic-wielding heroine. So she's the first magic-wielding heroine of DC Comics. To give her a sense of history, Zontana was made the daughter of legendary Golden Age magician John Zatara. Anderson envisioned Zontana as being dressed similarly to her father and gave her traditional magician's outfit complete with a top hat, yellow cummerbund, coattails, and fishnets. Though she has changed her costume several times throughout her history, this costume has has proven to be Zontana's most iconic and popular look. Which is true because if you take a look at Young Justice and also Batman the Animated Series leading into Justice League Unlimited, that is... Her go-to outfit. Right. And, and it's because it is that symbolic of, you know, it's the the classic magician slash, you know, magician's uh, performance assistant, whatever, look. I mean, it's, it's the eye candy, quote-unquote, to distract them, but she's still obviously pretty powerful on her own right. Right. <clears throat> Which, if, if you ever ask me, one of the few people that could probably beat Superman in a fight would be Zatanna. Just because one of Superman's greatest weaknesses is magic, which they keep forgetting, but... No, they don't forget it. They just don't really <clears throat> dwell on it too much, unless if there's a reason. So let's talk about some of her powers. Right. Because, good Lord, there is a list. She has blast powers, dimensional manipulation, earth manipulation, electricity control. She's an escape artist. Fire control, flight, force field, healing, holographic projection, hypnosis, ice control, illusion casting, intellect, leadership, levitation, magic, marksmanship, mesmerize, omnilingual, <coughs> which means for those who do not know, she can speak any language out there. Plant control, prob- probability manipulation, radar sense, reality manipulation, sand manipulation. Okay, so there's a lot of elemental. Right. So let's just say she is an adept geomancer. Right, and again, it's all because... Whatever she can she can say in her spell, she can do. Pretty much. Size manipulation. <laughs> <laughs> we have to. Wow. That's that just and right that's, under this that, is like Superman super friction. Oh god, we will not discuss <laughs> that. So, um stamina. Mm-hmm. Why did they have to put size manipulation and then stamina? You know what? That that's just bad. You, you know why. Yeah. 
stealth, telekinesis, telepathy, teleportation, time manipulation, time travel, unarmed combat. She, honestly, Zantana is one of the best hand-to-hand combatants mm-hmm. in DC. Now, she doesn't rank up there with, like, Batgirl, right. Wonder Woman, Big Barda, but she is able to hold her own. Right. Uh, let's see here. And, again, you got to realize, again, going back into everything else, she is still technically just a normal person. Even though she has all this magical abilities and she's able to do all that, she she is still technically just a normal human of average, quote-unquote, average size, build, and, you know, everything else. Right. Well, again, people like Big Barra, Wonder Woman, um, Batgirl, um, Black Bat, whoever you want to speak of, these are all people who are proficient in training because they are trained to do these things. They are peak physical training. Exactly. And also she has willpower-based constructs. Stop using my power. I thought it was Green Lantern Parlor. Never mind. Yeah. You you didn't catch it. (laughs) Yeah, no, I caught it. Anyways, Zantana has been in multiple teams. She was part of the Justice League of America. Mm -hmm. She was part of Justice League Dark. Um, The most notable thing about her, aside from her power, is some of her um, love interest. Mm Mm-hmm. Most notably, John Constantine, right? Which in some in some elsewhere where alternate stories, she actually gets married to John and they have a kid. Right. I mean, even in the Injustice comic books, that's what happens mm-hmm. too. Um, also, she was part of the Seven Soldiers. Um, I already said JLA. Um, I want to say she was part of the Justice Society, at least, or some faction of it at one point or another, or just League International. She, she's basically the, the, again, just like a Wonder Woman, she is the other go-to major super heroine in, in DC. Yes, definitely. Now she, she's, They're like the Wolverines of, of DC. They're, anything they can throw them in, they're in there. Even if it doesn't make sense what's going on in other comics right now at the same time. Yeah. yeah. Like, I'm over here, you know, taking out this stuff in New York when in this comic, all of a sudden I'm in Brazil. Same exact time. Doppelgangers. All right, so another female character that I have to discuss relating to DC Comics. I have to talk about Vixen. Vixen, okay. So for those who are not really familiar with Vixen, or if you are, mainly due to Justice League Unlimited, um, Arrow, um, what was it? The um, hero, what was it? The Heroes of Tomorrow? Right. Legends of Tomorrow. Legends of Tomorrow, yeah. Even Basically, the, uh, the the Arrowverse of uh, CW shows, etc. Yeah. Even though she never actually had a live-action performance, and she had a kind of animated short video movie, whatever. Yeah, the, that shot. was actually like a six-episode thing on yeah. the CW web um, website. Yeah, so webisodes. Yeah, so Vixen is Mari McCabe. She was born in Africa, and she is the daughter of Reverend Jiwei, who later possessed magical... The Tantu Totem. Mm -hmm. So this totem, supposedly created by Anansi the Spider, the African trickster god, which bestowed the wearer with the same powers of Anansi. Anansi. So soon Mari found herself an orphan after her mother was killed by poachers and her father was killed by Maxai, her half-brother. Then she moved to New York City, where she began a career as a model. She later returned to Africa to reclaim the totem. Um, 
Vixen was the originally slated to be the first African-American female superhero to lead her own series. Yet the series was canceled before its publication. This was during an event known as the DC implosion. <laughs> Although her series had been canceled, the character was not and eventually made her first appearance in the DC universe and action comics 521, the deadly rampage of the lady Fox slash grow little grow fish in 1981 created by Jerry Conway and Kurt Swain. So looking at this, she has a lot of history, right? So let me read this little part here. Despite nearly being the first female African character to be featured in her own comic book series, Vixen was subsequently characterized somewhat stereotypically as a stock African-American character for the period after her eventual introduction into the DC universe. Undoubtedly, one of the most important moments for the character was her introduction into the Justice League of America. At the time, in the early 1980s, the comic book industry was dominated by youth-oriented series. The main source of this was at Marvel, where the X-Men were leading sales across the entire industry. But at DC, the Teen Titans were equally one of the best sellers. With this formula in mind, it was decided to relaunch the Justice League of America with a younger and less mainstream cast. While most of these new characters were entirely new creations, Vixen was one of the more experienced of the new members and one with the publication history a bit limited prior to her joining. So this was actually when they created Justice League Detroit. That's what, that was the team that she was part of. But she was also part of the Suicide Squad, too, for a time being. So she was part of the Suicide Squad, the JLA. And honestly, she was... Wow. Yeah, she, She's another one of those bounce-around characters that whenever they decide, oh, we still have this character, we need a... Do something with her before we lose the copyright on her. Right. Essentially. Now, her powers, because of the totem that she has, mm-hmm. and it's been created by Anansi, she's able to take the power of different animals. Right. So, if she wanted to, she could choose an elephant and have the strength of an elephant. She can have the speed of a cheetah. She can have the ability of flight like a bird, able to swim like a shark. But there's other powers that she had here. Um, animal control. Mm-hmm. Berserker strength. She's able to do things like a chameleon. So most of this is all relating to animals like right. electricity control. She could easily be a moray eel. Right. Um, she even gets the same face as my... No, okay. <laughs> so she doesn't have the face of any of the animals that she takes on. In a way, she's a female version of Animal Man. She just right. has the powers. But unlike Animal Man, who was blessed by it, she has the totem that helps control it. Right. Which, going further, she's an avatar for what is called the Red in DC Comics. There's the Green, which takes care of the Earth and Plant Manipulation, which is Swamp Thing, Poison Ivy. The Red is animal-based. And then there's the Black. That's kind of racist. Yeah, we're not... (laughs) Which deals with death. But anyways... Double racist, okay. (laughs) Sorry, I I had to say it. I had to. Wow. Come on. You knew you were thinking it. Actually, I wasn't, but, you know, wow. Now you are. 
just wow, you know, family show, remember family show. But anyways, there's a lot, there's a lot here about Vixen and she's definitely one of those history driven characters because she was supposed to be the first African character or female African comic book character for DC. So it's kind of crazy to read that and, you know, because I've seen Vixen in comic books and TV and everything and. I didn't know that she was rich of history right. like that. So, <clears throat> all right, let's do a couple of more from DC. Mm-hmm. All right, who you got, Monkey? Well, you, you kind of mentioned uh, the Teen Titans and Titans earlier, so w- we have to talk about Starfire, who's, again, probably one of the most powerful DC female characters also. And oversexed. Well, she, she's sexualized, but they after the New 52s where they really kind of went dumb with her stuff or they made it more into a kind of a riff that she's essentially a, a, a you know a a, 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 a gardening tool um promiscuous yes. she's promiscuous but yeah, I will say that but it shouldn't shadow her history and her abilities right and and again if you really really think about it it's kind of her her history was kind of more like I guess you can say a looser kind of feminist view of things where she was not thinking of, you know, uh, intimacy as kind of as a sexual thing. She thought of it as more of a, oh, it's just a thing. Right. It can be intimate, but, you know, it doesn't mean we we have to be, you know, quote unquote, in love. Uh, And again, that kind of detracts from everything else about her. But the fact that, again, she's got flight, um, eye blasts, uh, regular blasts, super strength. And essentially, her race because of the way her race is, um, that's how they they get their knowledge of whatever other race they're working with by kissing them. Right. And that that was again the start of the quote unquote promiscuousness of her, where she kissed. Then at the time when she first showed up in the comics, uh, she kissed Robin, who at the time was Dick Grayson, who at that point was like, "Whoa, what's going on here?" And then that's when she told that. This is how we, we learn the knowledge of this world. So, again, just that, I guess you can call it almost like tactile osmosis of knowledge there. Right. And that's a power all of its own unique to her race, which is, again, not something you've ever really seen before in anything else. Right. So, just a little <coughs> bit of history about Starfire's creation. She was created in 1980 by writer Marv Wolfman and artist George Perez. When the new characters were needed to be needed to fill out the revamped roster of the upcoming new Teen Titans series, she made her debut in DC Comics Presents number twenty six in October nineteen eighty. Wolfman conceived the character as an exotic alien princess who is both sexy in appearance and a fierce warrior, essentially a Red Sonya in outer space. Right. You know, I actually like that. Yeah. You know, really looking at it. She really is a Red Sonja in outer space. Well, you really even have to compare it also. It is kind of comparable to, again, Wonder Woman as well. She is like an Amazon. She's an outer space Amazon. Right, exactly. So, based on this description, Perez visually designed Starfire to have a golden skin, long flowing red hair, completely green eyes, and a voluptuous figure, and revealing bikini-like armor. Right. Her character was immediately popular with fans, and her look and costume have remained virtually unchanged since her initial appearance three decades ago. 
Um, yes and no on that point, because you have to remember Teen Titans, the cartoon show, and Teen Titans Go. Of course, they had to change the costume. Well, they, they kept the costume, but obviously her, her, her physique changed a little bit <laughs> to make it a little bit more, I guess you can t- say... Uh, Child-friendly? Yeah. Well, you know, it could be child-friendly the other way, but that... Never mind. <clears throat> yeah, no, no. We're not going that way. It's like, Mama Milk. Oh, oh my God. <laughs> We're trying to keep this family-friendly. That is family-friendly. You're not going to give a child their milk? You know what? I'm. You know what? Continuing on. Now there are superheroes that have powers, and then there are su- female superheroes that do not. Mm-hmm. And we have to talk about one of the most notable and legendary non-powered s- female superheroes, being Batgirl. Right. And yes, there have been many people that have had the name Batgirl. I'll six of them actually. Because um, Cassie Kane, or not Cassie Kane, um, Kathy Kane. No. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. But the one I'm talking about is Barbara Gordon. Right. The the more no, most notable one. Yes. Yes. <clears throat> we have to talk about the original. Right. Technically, the original. Technically, she's Batgirl number two. Right. But she's the one who carried. Oh, here we go. The first Batgirl was Betty Kane. Betty Kane, yep, that's who it was, because because uh, Ka- Ka- Kathy Kane is Batwoman, Batwoman, which is her sister or cousin or something. I I can't remember. It's yeah, it's the convoluted DC universe uh, back knowledge of information that gets mixed up between writers. Yeah, so we have the first Batgirl being Betty Kane, second one being Barbara Gordon, who is the most notable, the third Batgirl being Helena Bertinelli, who became the Huntress. Right. The fourth one becoming the fourth one being Cassandra Kane, who became Orphan, then Black Bat, and now Back to Back Girl. The fifth Bat Girl, Charlie Gage Ratcliffe. Why does that name sound familiar? Is that like Daniel Ratcliffe's sister? I think it's know, Harry Potter's sister. Oh, it's let Batgirl. me click on this one because <clears throat> okay, it's the spoiler. Is it no uh, Misfit? Misfit. Misfit, which. She worked with the Birds of Prey. She has magic-based powers that range from teleportation and self-healing to advanced stealth ability. I never heard of this Batgirl before. Me neither. That is kind of weird. It's not real. It doesn't exist. No, it's real. It's actual continuity. It's DC. It doesn't exist. That's what DC stuff does not exist. And the sixth Batgirl being Stephanie Brown, also known as the spoiler. So like I said, six Batgirls. You doubted me. So, here we go. The reason... So, the origin of Batgirl is while attending a costume party dressed as a female counterpart of Batman, Barbara Gordon witnessed the kidnapping of billionaire Bruce Wayne by supervillain Killer Moth. She prevented this and without realizing it draws the attention of the Dark Knight. This this event begins Barbara's path in crime fighting. So, that's actually kind of crazy. So, she originally started... I'm trying to find her creation. Here we go. Barbara was created by Gardner Fox and Carmine Infantoni. Carmine? <clears throat> Carmine Infantino. Sorry. Oh. Barbara Gordon was created to be the new Batgirl for the third season of the Batman TV series on ABC. After editor of the Batman books, Julius Schwartz, was approached by the producers of the Batman TV series, William Dozer and Howie Horowitz, to create a new female character to gain more female viewership. 
Artist Carmine Infantino did a rough concept art for the new Batgirl. The producers used the drawing to help the Bat help the Batman series get a third series. Should be a third season. Yeah. But I'm reading this verbatim. Mm-hmm. The new Batgirl quickly became popular due to the show and constant appearances with the, within the comics with many fan letters expressing their love for the new Batgirl and for her appearance in other titles. Batgirl appeared in the starting at sorry. Batgirl Batgirl appeared in the starred See, this doesn't make any sense how they typed this. It probably got translated from English to another language and into another language and then back in English. So what this is trying to say is Batman a- appeared as a supporting character in Detective Comics and had many guest appearances in books such as Justice League of America, World's Finest Comics, and Superman. In 1988, in Alan Moore's The Killing Joke, Barbara Gordon was crippled with months before having retired the background, Batgirl persona. After being crippled, Barbara was then... Wow, their typing is horrible on this. I'm going to try to reinterpret <laughs> yeah. After being crippled, Barbara changed her identity to Oracle and became an information broker and computer hacker, helping out the government-sponsored Suicide Squad. So there's a lot of history with Barbara. Right. I mean, she's worked with, of course, the Bat family. She's worked with Justice League. And this was all before she became Oracle. Right. And as Oracle, I mean, she was the go-to person for anything database. Right. And and again it was it was kind of not only just the fact that she was super knowledgeable in the first place, but it was also kind of her driving determination that she didn't want to feel useless at this point because of the fact that she was now uh considered quote unquote crippled or or you know paraplegic or whatnot. Exactly well, not paraplegic, I guess, because she had it was just the legs. Yeah. I, yeah. Just waist down, yeah. And not only that, but she founded her own team of female superheroes known as the Birds of Prey, which originally started with her and Black Canary, and then they brought in the Huntress, they brought in Lady Blackhawk, they brought in a lot of female characters that that normally wouldn't have anything to do with the Bat family. It was a lot of basically the, I guess you can say the... um, almost quote-unquote background characters that were involved in a lot of the other series but never really got a chance to really shine in, in the comics. So they they made it as a team, and even they made the uh, kind of uh, very loosely based series off, TV series off of it. Right. Which confused a lot of people because it used one part of one origin of Huntress and kind of combine that with some of the other stuff going on in DC, but not really. Right. So let's move over to Marvel Comics. Okay. That sounds good. Because there are a lot, just like DC, Mm -hmm. there are a lot of influential female superheroes within the pages of Marvel Comics. I mean... You can go down the list, and all of them have very unique and diverse mm-hmm. stories behind right. them. And that's all thanks to Stan Lee, mostly, because he he wanted each character to be some kind of unique character. Well, you know, I hate to say this about DC. Well, I'd love to say it, but some people might, li- might not like to hear it, but a lot of the DC characters are pretty much cookie-cut. They're, they're all about the same thing. They, you know, all have mostly the same backgrounds, 
mostly the same uh, archetypes and everything. And it's like almost to the point where this character has this, 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 and this, but he has this. This character has this, 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 and this, but he has this, unlike this character who doesn't. You mean how Supergirl and Power Girl are actually the same individual, but one's from Earth 2 and one's from actual... Not even saying that. Like, well, I guess the the best example I can give is a lot of people will will, will dog Aquaman in DC Comics, saying, yeah. oh, he, he can breathe underwater and talk to fish. Yes, but he also has basically the same powers as Superman. He's got super strength. He's got near invulnerability. He's, you know, got obviously everything else that comes into that same package other than, you know, the heat vision and 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 flight. But, you know, his his only other things he has outside of the basis of things is the breathing on the water and talking to fish. Right. Not even commanding fish, just talking to fish. Right. So seeing how we're talking about Marvel, right. who would be the first female superhero you would discuss from Marvel? Well, the first one I would say, and again, um, I, I was kind of going off in my mindset a lot of things about basically what I would consider the strongest characters in Marvel, at least female-wise. And one of the first ones that I thought about right off the top of my bat was Storm from the X-Men. Yes, yes, yes. Who, again, um, Storm is essentially, and this is how she was actually first relayed to people, she is essentially the antithesis of a goddess of weather. Because her powers are basically controlling everything about the weather. And that makes her just that much on a higher level than almost any other character in the Marvel Universe. No matter where you're at, she can make any weather happen. It doesn't even have to be natural to that climate. And her powers even go further than that. She Mm -hmm. can go on any planet and anywhere and understand their weather in an instant and actually be able to control it. Right. And again, she can create her own atmosphere around her, making her able to breathe on any planet. And again, that and that's not even including her, her just her leadership skills as a born leader to the groups. Uh, again, a lot of people keep forgetting that during the early '90s, she was the leader of the X Men in the comics. Even though Professor X was still there, she was the the field leader. Yeah, I mean, she led the X Men Blue Team. She led the Gold Extreme team. Gold, Gold Team. team that's yeah. right. Blue Team was uh, Cyclops. Cyclops. Won't talk about Cyclops. That's another time. Cyclops is just <clears throat> one-eyed, one horn. Never mind. Yeah, whenever we need to talk about comic book douchebags, he'll be number one on the list. Anyways, that's just personal opinion. There now, are some is people. he, or because since he always keeps seeming to get into bed with psychic people, maybe they're just mind-whamming mind him. Yeah, I doubt that. Are you sure? Yeah. Think about it, think about it. I'm positive. He just has a thing for women with women with psychic powers. Either that, or they just have a thing for him because he must have the sexiest mind in the world. I doubt that. Anyways, okay. continuing on with Storm. Okay. <clears throat> so, Storm was created by the writer Len Wein and artist Dave Cockrum, and made her first appearance in Giant Size X Men number one in May of nineteen seventy five. Mm-hmm. Storm was created using different characters that were originally intended to be used in the Legion of Superheroes comic books. During an interview in 99, Wayne explained that the origin, the original black female character of the Legion would have been named the Black Cat and wore a similar costume to Storm, but without the cape and sported cat-like haircut and ears. However, due to other female cat-like characters like Tigra appearing, 
Dave Cockrum decided to redesign the new character and give her white hair and a black cape and the name Storm. Mm-hmm. So there, Storm has a lot of information here, especially relating to her story arcs about being her an um, orphan in Cairo. All right. And then her being essentially recognized as a goddess. And then later on, when she left the X-Men for a while, she became leader of the Morlocks. Yeah. And so. Oh, even more, because while she was a... Um, Orphan in Cairo, this is how she met Ch- T'Challa, who became the Black Panther. At least according to whatever recent comics they, they, they decided to throw it into. Yep. So. Then, of course, her joining the X-Men, then the Deadly Genesis um, um, series where they were taken into space. Then the Asgardian Wars, Doom, Quest for Magic, trying to save um, Ilya Rasputin, mm-hmm. where it showed an older storm. And then, of course, her going into her leather and white mohawk, right. which is extremely iconic. Yes. And this is around the time that she became the leader of the Morlocks. Right. Which essentially makes you think that somehow, I guess, her becoming the leader of the Morlocks decided she needed to look like Calypso, I guess. Yeah. Minus the eye patch. Mohawk. It's so, kind of a weird <clears throat> tube top that's ripped up in jeans. Yeah. Like, it goes further. Like, she returned to be the leader of the Morlocks. Then she read the extre- she led the Extreme X-Men team. The um, XSE she led as well. Um, of course, getting married to the Black Panther. Right. Leading up to the Civil War, Dark Reign, the Doom War, and the loss of her husband. You know, the Astonishing X-Men she was the leader of. Mm-hmm. You know, th- there's a lot of history with her, and ultimately, she is like she's pretty much Wonder Woman, right? Well, again, like I said, she she is rec- essentially, you know, if you were to kind of make it to compare her to actually other heroes, she is essentially female Thor before female Thor showed up. Yes, minus the hammer is all she is. What she is, she is a goddess level powered being that can control the weather. Exactly, exactly. So, another female character that I have to talk about. Mm-hmm. You know, because you talked about Storm. Right. Now, this one, she isn't really a superhero per se, but at the same time, there are times where she showed a lot of heroic qualities, and she's iconic mm. due to the fact of her connection with Spider-Man. Are you talking about Mary Jane? Mary Jane Watson. Mm-hmm. Because she came from the bottom, rose to the top. Now, granted, nowadays she was dating Tony uh, Tony Stark, also known as Iron Man. That doesn't exist. It didn't happen. Yeah, I guess that she went back to Peter or something, right? I don't know. I don't read Mary of the comics these days because the writing is so convoluted. It's, it, it's mind-numbing. Yeah. I, I, I barely read the the Moon Knight comics. That's because I, it, it's supposed to be wild and sporadic. Because it's Moon Knight, he's crazy, right? <clears throat> so, you know, in her own right, you know, she was a big inspiration to Spider Man whenever he was starting out, and you know, during all his conflicts, his internal turmoil as Peter Parker, and also later whenever she found out his identity as Spider Man. Right. You know, it it's just crazy. Well, again, a lot of people will say this. Um, she is the anchor that kept Spider-Man in basically 
his mindset of, yes, he knows the world. Well, I, I guess I, I can quote one of my, my, my former roommate. Uh, what he would say is, Spider-Man is essentially Marvel Universe punching bag. All the bad that happens to him, everything and anything happens to him. Right. He, he's gotten the worst of the worst of everything. And essentially, Mary Jane was his anchor to reality to keep him on the mindset of, you know, at the point of where he could have said, you know, F this noise, I'm done with this. I don't want to do this anymore, which he did at one time or another, a couple times actually. She's the one that was like, hey, you got to remember all the good you're doing. You're helping out all these people. If it wasn't for you, this these people would not be able to live. This would not happen. This would not be good for them. And if you really think about it, um, you know, again, this is more touching on Spider-Man than on her, but... Spider-Man and um, Villain Rogue Gallery are essentially stronger than most of the other villains that a lot of the other comic characters have fought in, in the Marvel Universe. Uh, for instance, uh, Shocker. Yeah, he doesn't sound like he's all that great, but it, essentially he did fight the X-Men at one point, and they could not take him down because of what his actual suit actually really does. It's just the fact that Spider-Man is so strong that he's able to get past uh, Shocker's vibration absorption suit and whatnot. Right. And all of the other, all the other characters could not get, could not stop him. But here's Spider-Man by himself, you know, six-year-old boy fighting off, you know, a guy who's got this souped-out suit and superpowers that a team that has been fighting for years against other supervillains couldn't even take down. Right. Now, here's something interesting I didn't know. Did you know that Mary Jane Watson was trained in self-defense by Captain America? I would assume that would have been something that probably popped in at one point or another after, probably after one of the other story arcs where, where Captain America finally found out that who Peter Parker was Spider-Man, which was, I think, one of the, the second or third Secret War things before the whole Civil War Secret Invasion thing happened. Because that was one point where, because for the longest time, um, that was Spider-Man's biggest thing. Nobody knew his secret identity. Even Wolverine didn't know who he was until he smelt him on the, the plane when they were going to live area. And he's like, I know you're sent. I know who you are. He's like, what? No, I, I don't know what you're talking about, buddy. He's like, don't talk about that, bud. I know who you are. Right. You, you got you're probably your red and blue pajamas in your bag right now, don't you? He's like, Ugh. <laughs> Wow. All right. So one more, one more from DC, or yeah, from oh, Marvel, well. Marvel, Marvel. My bad. Only one more. Okay, I'll see a couple more. Yeah, two more. One okay. for you, one for me. Well, okay. Well, I, I gotta touch on this one, and again, um, uh, superhero wise, again, uh, probably one of the most powerful Marvel characters, female wise, is Photon, Captain Marvel. Uh, Monica Rambeau. Again, her power being she can essentially turn herself into light, which makes her, at that point, near untouchable, super powerful against anything and everything as long as, you know, they don't have a way to reflect her. Right. So I'm trying to see here her history. Which, again, um, she, she was the first female character to go under the Captain Marvel name. Much to some some people's chagrins, um, and again, when she was being called Captain Marvel, that was after the original male Captain Marvel had died, and even at that point, when they first started using her as Captain Marvel, um, she was actually told by Ben Grimm, "Hey, we already had a Captain Marvel, but you know what? 
I think he would be proud to have you using his name. And because of how much of a difference Shield's making as, again, a member of the Avengers and even later on becoming the leader of the Avengers as well. Yes, yes, yes. So sucky people who think black female superheroes weren't in charge of anything before this current age. Yeah. You know what? 80s. Take it. it. (laughs) Take it and like it. Booyah. (laughs) Wow. Yes, wow, but thank you for that. Thank you for that. Now, there... The first thing comics existed before today. So I'm looking here. I'm trying to find her history. But there's a lot of history with her, and Monkey did touch on it quite a bit. Now, there is one more female superhero we do have to discuss. Okay. And she actually now is about to get her own series on Disney+. Plus. Oh, God. You know who I'm thinking about. Uh, She-Hulk, I assume. She-Hulk. Yes. So, for those who do not know or have not heard of She-Hulk, which everyone should have heard by about She-Hulk right now, she is the daughter of Sheriff Morris Walters. She is also the cousin of Bruce Banner, who is the Incredible Hulk. Right. Now, her creation was created now she was created oh here we go though stan lee is credited as the creator of she hulk the character was not originally his idea the initial reason for she hulk's creation was to gain exclusive rights to a female hulk character the idea was born during the 1970s run of the live action incredible hulk tv series the show enjoyed such success that CBS considered making a female Hulk spinoff series. If CBS had gone through with it, they would have owned the rights to She-Hulk, but Marvel got wind of their idea and acted quickly, getting Stan Lee to write the first issue of a She-Hulk comic book series with the artist John Buscema doing the pencils. So this was pretty much Marvel protecting the license. Right. It's essentially Marvel was, was pulling what Fox did in, in the late 90s, early 2000s, where they, they wanted to make sure they, they held on to the trademark or copyright or whatever licensing right before someone else decided to do it. Kind of like the whole process where uh, DC kind of, did some things and Marvel said some things and then DC was like, hey, don't do that. And then DC turns around and says, well, we'll do this. And it's like, wait, wait, you say we can't do that. Why are you doing it? And this is how we got the issues with Captain Marvel, a.k.a. Shazam and Captain Marvel and Marvel Comics. Well, Captain Marvel, Shazam actually existed before even DC Comics, actually. Captain Marvel. Right, Fawcett Comics. And and then there was that big debacle about the name and... For some reason, Marvel Comics won. Actually, I don't think they really won. I think they just were like, well, everyone still keeps calling him Shazam anyway, so we'll just call him Shazam. Screw it. So, She-Hulk has a very rich history. Now, as we know, she is the cousin of Bruce Banner. Mm -hmm. The reason why she got her powers is because Bruce went to visit Jennifer and reestablished their once close relationship. Um, Yeah, that sounds bad. But, unfortunately, on that very same day, Jennifer was shot and seriously wounded by men working for Nicholas Trask, a crime boss who had once been an enemy of her father and also the enemy of one of Jennifer's clients. 
which again, for those who don't remember or don't know, Jennifer Walters is a lawyer. And she takes on some very unique cases, right. which we'll dive in that during well, a playthrough of She-Hulk whenever it comes out. Well, she I, I think that's more of a more recent thing, really, where her cases became more, I guess you can say, comic bookish. So to the point is, where it's like comic book law as opposed to actual normal law. But initially, she was essentially just like, you know, Matt Murdock lawyering. She, she, she was... I think she was actually a public defendant because she really wasn't that big out there yet. Um, uh, again, she got her powers because when, when she got shot, she got a blood transfusion from Bruce Banner because he was apparently matching blood types. Yeah. Which then makes you wonder, like, how stupid is this super genius to not realize that, oh, my blood's gamma radiated. That might mess her up. So, <laughs> which brings up this point. Bruce's gamma-radiated blood caused Jennifer to transform into the savage She-Hulk. Her first transformation into She-Hulk was when Trask men came to finish Jennifer off by posing as doctors. However, Jennifer quickly recognized them and in fear of her life was transformed into the She-Hulk, easily dispatching the would-be killers. Now, She-Hulk has been on many teams too. She's Mm -hmm. been on the Avengers, the Pantheon, um, if you're looking at the at cartoons, the Agent of Smash. It's smash. Okay, no. Smash um, or pass? Smash. Oh, yeah. Wow. <laughs> Not only that, but she was part of the Fantastic Four at a time. Right. You know, taking the she, place of Thing. She was a, uh, what they call a, a backup, you know, Fantastic Four member. Um, she was also part of, I believe, the Avengers West Coast. Yep. So. Yeah, so she and she's obviously also been um, kind of highly profiled into a lot of other things as a lot of other relationships with other characters and whatnot. Yeah. Now, um, I and I've always uh, stated this because um, a lot of people would talk about how She Hulk's uh, gamma rated process is obviously different than Hulk's gamma rated process, which uh, a lot of people have had the theory that the gamma radiation doesn't quote-unquote just make them super strong and powerful or whatever it is kind of like an antithesis of what they want to be or even sometimes even the complete opposite which uh, i believe stanley even once said that you know the hulk and bruce banner were dr jekyll and mr hyde yeah where you know bruce banner is timid and weak and and a genius and just like dr jekyll while the hulk is mr hyde where he's super powerful but he's feral-minded now Take Jennifer Walters, for instance. Her, in her normal life as a lawyer, she was kind of mousy, kind of quiet, um, not very audacious out there. She-Hulk, she is strong. She's loud, obviously, but proud of herself. And she's, she's you know, a lot more confident. Exactly. And, and um, another example would be um, the leader, Sam Elliott. You know, uh, his his character was he was kind of essentially he was a janitor at a school i believe and or even at a factory depending on what which origin they they go off of and he was kind of borderline even uh, mentally handicapped yeah he got exposed to gamma radiation now he's a super genius with psionic abilities exactly so So, just a quick rundown. I mean, Jennifer Walters, a.k.a. She-Hulk, pretty much has the same standard powers of any Hulk or right. 
any gamma radiated superhero or supervillain, mm. mostly within the terms of strength, um, advanced healing, um, pretty much immortality at right. this point. Um, technically, she's a shape shifter because she goes from one form to her she Hulk form, right. and just like with the later iteration of Hulk, she. She is more susceptible to wanting to stay in her She-Hulk form because then she feels less vulnerable at that point. Exactly. Now, granted, that did backfire on her because she did become the um, savage gray She-Hulk for a time because she was dealing with PTSD. That didn't happen. That's not real. Then after that, yeah, it did happen. Nope, doesn't exist. Just like that whole other whatever thing they had recently too with her. That didn't exist either. Up until they, they finally decided to go back to her looking like sensational She-Hulk. Then from there, I mean, her time in Avengers Mountain whenever she looked more like her cousin. Yeah, that, that's what I said. That doesn't exist. Doesn't It's not real. Then her time as the Winter Hulk. That, definitely which, not real. Which was, a, which was her just as a red version with blonde hair. Which then kind of totally offsets the whole thing with the red She-Hulk. Yeah, I guess they forgot they had her in their in their comics. So, then she became back to normal. Yes. So it it's just it, it's like it's like you know the, the WWE universe world thought process that where that Randy Orton lost the title and it disappeared for like three months until oh no uh, Triple H lost the title he, he, they don't know what happened to it it just disappeared for three months and then Randy Orton found it right. Just out of nowhere. Yeah, just out of nowhere. All right, so I think now we can cover a couple other superheroes that are outside the realm of Marvel and DC. And I'm going to let you kick this one off. Oh, okay. Well, I didn't get a chance to get into too much of information from this, but... um, So I know you're a fan of the Witchblade. Yes, Witchblade, yes. What she do? Oh, yeah. <laughs> wow. Okay, so, yes, the Witchblade, who, um, again, was originally created... We talked about this last week, I believe. Or, yep, yeah, we did. Because we were talking about something or another. I can't remember what we were talking about. Then, but okay, so anyways, yeah, Witchblade. So, um, yeah, when we were talking about the, the, the toxicity and shipping and stuff, yes. It became just about shipping, I think. Yep. Anyway, so, yeah, Witchblade. Yes, so, yeah, created by uh, Mark Silvestri. Um, even had a TV series after her for a while, which was, yeah. Had Yasmin Bleak, which was awesome. Um, yeah, her powers, essentially, she gets this ancient kind of, well, it's uh, kind of like a an armor suit thing, but obviously it's, it's your classic uh, video game RPG-style armor for females. But it's obviously super powerful besides just being armor. It's got magic and it can shift into anything and everything else. But it's essentially used as a blade-like sword, knives, whatever, that extends off of her body as part of her armor. And again, she's probably one of the most notable um, comic book female characters from other comic universes that aren't Marvel or DC because of her notoriety from having the live-action TV series and even in a short-lived anime series, which is about, like, I think, six episodes, maybe 12 episodes. 12. 12, okay. 
Which, again, that one was kind of a weird shark jump also, because that was way different than the comic. But, yeah. So, that's, yeah. All right, so one that I have to talk about is Vampirella. Vampirella, yes. So, a little bit of history relating to Vampirella. She was um, created by Warren Publishing. Um, Vampirella initially appeared in Warren Publishing's black and white horror comics magazine, Vampirella Number 1, in September 1969. And this ran to issue 112, which stopped at March of 1983. Plus a 1972 annual reprinting stories from the series and 19, 1977 annual with reprint and one new story. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm trying to find her background here. A lot of character stuff. Well, I know she she's always had a lot of cross-issue things with other universes. Um, especially with Image Comics when it first started out. Right. Uh, she did some cross things with, uh, what's it called, the um, Shadowhawk from, from Image Comics. Yes. Where they even had kind of a short-lived thing because the Shadowhawk character was essentially dying from AIDS. And at one point she gave him the vampire bite, which gave him vampire powers and made him immortal. But that got later retconned, but... Again, it, it kind of carried on in the Image Comics for a while. And so it's uh, one of the things that happened with a lot of the crossovers that Image did was that they tried to keep aspects of what happened in those crossovers. All right, so here we go. I found her background here. Thank you, Wikipedia. Yeah. Um, Are you sure? And she's been through a lot of retcons. All right, so starting off with her original, she was originally hailed from the planet Draculon, a world where blood flowed like water and where the natives, called the Vampiri, shared traditionally vampiric characteristics. Draculon orbited a binary star which caused continuous droughts throughout the year. Unfortunately for the Vampiri, these droughts have gradually dried up their blood supply, threatening them with extinction. Vampirella's journey began when an American space shuttle crashed on Draculon. Hoping to save her people, she travels to Earth where she begins hunting dark remnants of her own race. Earth's vampires originate from Dracula, a forgotten member of the Vampiri race who left his homeworld centuries ago only to be corrupted by the demonic entity known as Chaos. Why does this ending part sound like Castlevania? It isn't. I don't know what you're talking about. Anyways, so that was her original um, Warren Publishing background. Now, her second, um, her second, I want to say background, her second storyline here, mm-hmm. comes from whenever the property switched over from Warren Publication to Harris Publication. Because Warren Publication became bankrupt and Harris publication acquired the company assets in, a, in an auction in, ni- in August 1983 and also that included Vampirella so here it is here it is here it is so boom, 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 boom. I just saw it where did it go Ah, here we go. So after, so this is the Harris continuity. Mm -hmm. After relaunching Vampirella within the miniseries Morning in America, written by Kurt Busiek, Harris Comics published the story Mystery Walk, which revised Vampirella's origin. She learned she was, in fact, the daughter of Lilith, 
whom popular medieval Jewish lore depicts as the first wife of Adam. Lilith would not submit to Adam and was cast out of Eden by God, spawned demons. And she spawned demons. Mind you, the typing on this is screwy. She later repented and went to Eden to bear children to fight the evil she has created. Her first attempt was Maddox and Magdalene, who turned evil. Vampirella was her second. Maddox and Magdalene brainwashed her into believing she was from Draculon. Further retcons were presented in Vampirella Lives and Bloodlust. Draculon was real, but a place in hell. Vampirella was brought to Eden, not born there. It was Lilith, not Maddox and Magdalene, who made believe Draculon was another planet. Vampirella restores the rivers of blood to Draculon, which weakened Lilith, who was killed by the hand of God. Just a hand. Not, not anything else, just a hand. Yeah. So she was killed by Manos. Damn you, Manos. A further revision uh, in the World's End storyline revealed Lith- Lilith did not really repent and raise Dracula- Vampirella to be good because she wanted to release the Heart of Darkness, the Heart of the Fallen Angel Malekith, from Metatron's lance, which could only be done by a good person. Another retcon in Vampirella's re- resurrection or revelations revealed the reason Lilith raised Vampirella to be good was that the existence of vampires made Lilith weaker and she wanted someone to kill them. Lilith used a magic mirror to make Vampirella believe whatever variation on her origin was necessary at the time. So in other words, uh, new writer, new origin every time. Oh, yeah. There, or flip-flop origins. Yeah, yeah, because also Vampirella went to Dynamite Comics, mm-hmm. and there was multiple continuities on that, too. And you know what? There, there's just a lot with Vampirella. Yes. It's out there. It's out there all over the place. Yep. So what other comic book character independently can you think of? Well, um, I, I was thinking, and I don't do that very often. It hurts a lot. So uh, I, I have to go back to a, a classic of one. Um, don't really know if you can really consider him a superhero or a supervillain, depending on what aspect you're looking at it. But uh, Lady Death, yep. uh, created by Brian Peluto who I actually met Brian Pluto uh, about 12, 13, maybe 15 years ago at this point. That's right, I remember I, I that. met him in Chicago. Um, yeah, uh, again, Lady Death was originally created um, as a character who uh, then later on spawned off the crossover character who quote-unquote summoned her to Earth, which was Evil Ernie. Yes. So, But yes, Lady Death, who is essentially the daughter of... of Satan or different different origins, depending on what you're ta- you're looking at. One point she was Hope. One point she's Pandora. It, it's all over the place. Yeah, but essentially she gets summoned to Earth to bring basically mega death and destruction upon Earth. So again, like I said, depending on what what aspect you're reading, that might be a hero, might be a villain. So now, if y'all want a variation of Lady Death, you have to take a look at the animated Lady Death. Uh, movie right. that came out and that one shows the origin that she's actually the daughter of the devil right so again so uh, her, her origins are kind of hit and miss back and forth um i know she's uh it was different comics universes that brian pluto was in charge of i believe it originally was chaos comics i believe the current iteration of comics that she's coming out through is called 
Coffin Top, I want to say. Yep. And yeah, so um, and most of that is through Kickstarter. I think there are some uh, offshoots you can get sometimes of them being printed after the, the Kickstarters through Diamond and whatnot, but it's still, again, her. She is one of those iconic characters that um, if if you see her, you know who we're talking about. She's the all-white-skinned, usually in kind of a, a very, uh, I guess you can say, risque outfit with a cloak. Sometimes she has a sword. Sometimes she has a scythe. Sometimes she's different. Different different variations. Yes, yes, yes. So one, one final character that I want to talk about independently. And this is one that, you know, I gravitate to mm-hmm. because she's very unique in her story. Mm-hmm. And that is she. She, yes, by uh, Billy Tucci, yes. Yes. So she is a fictional comic book character created by writer-illustrator William Billy Tucci. She first appeared in Razor Annual Number 1 in 1993 and has appeared in numerous books by various publishers ever since. Most notably, Tucci's own Crusade Comics and the Image Universe. She is a young woman of Japanese-American descent trained as a Yamabushi warrior monk who struggles to reconcile her Japanese grandfather's martial training with her American mother's Christian teaching. Japanese culture and spiritual themes are prominent, recurring motifs and storyline featuring her, especially as they pertain to this conflict. The word she literally translates to death in Japanese, and she's signature weapon is the Naginata. Now, a little bit of backstory on she. Her real name is Ana Ishikawa. Ana's father, Shiro, was a Japanese warrior. Her mother, Catherine, is an American Catholic missionary. As a child, Anna witnessed the brutal murder of her father and brother at the hands of Mashashiro Arashi, an upstart Yakuza thug. Following this horrifying incident, Anna was consequently spirited away and raised by her grandfather, Yoshitora, among the sacred temples of Kyoto. Yoshitora secretly trained Anna in the ways of the Shohei warrior or warrior monks of feudal Japan so that she could seek out Arashi and avenge the deaths of her father and brother. In other words, her grandfather was just being lazy. He didn't want to do it himself. It's like, you got this. You can do this. Here, let me train you. I'm going to teach you everything I know. And, and, and I'm going to have you go do it. Mm-hmm. So there, there's still a little bit more about this because she had a major dilemma about the way that she was taught and her mother's teaching, seeing how she was a devout Catholic. She didn't want to kill. Right. But... She knew that she had to avenge her family, and there was a lot of conflict within her relating to that. And it makes her a very complex character, unlike other characters that once they go for revenge, that's all they're doing. You don't really see much of a moral compromise. They were wronged. This is what they're doing. She didn't want to, but she knew she had to. And she, 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 she knew she, she, and it caused a lot of internal strife. Mm -hmm. I mean, even to the point to like her duality, right? You know, once she had to don that persona of she, I mean, there was a death demon within her that wanted to drag her to hell for everything she did. And it's more, it's more literal and figurative of that darkness within her whenever she becomes that individual so you know monkey i think 
this would wrap it up, honestly. Because let's just want to throw out some honorable mentions. Obviously, yeah, go ahead. Um, we got uh, Monster Girl and Adam Eve from the Invincible comics. Yes. Um, again, Monster Girl being really just her power is to turn into a giant monster type creature, which apparently at that point makes her a male, and she's able to bear children because she later on runs into one of her children, apparently, um, that she fathered. Yes, you heard me correctly. She fathered. Oh, so, my God. Um, again, um, and Adam Eve, who later becomes, obviously, Invincible's love interest and whatnot from there in the comics. Um, you got the the alpha female from the boys' comics. Yes. Uh, also, obviously, uh, we kind of said it earlier, but it really wasn't specific on its own, but Red Sonia, who is the, obviously, best way to describe her is female, Conan the Barbarian, is the best way to describe her. Um, kind of touching in on manga and anime stuff, um, Sailor Moon and the Sailor Scouts, all, all female group there. Um, obviously, superhero S because of the magical girl concept. Um, what else did we have? Uh, uh, jumping back to Marvel, uh, you have characters like Jean Grey with the Phoenix Force, uh, Philavelle, who is the daughter of the original Captain Marvel, um, and, and if you want to count the current Captain Marvel. Uh, then you have uh, in DC, again, um, more characters. You got Raven from the Teen Titans. Um, you got Fire and Ice from the Justice League Europe. Um, again, uh, there is a vast amount of character, female characters out there who who make up these comic universes. And even though they don't get regularly used, uh, another one, Stargirl, who's currently yeah. even got her own series on the the uh, what, CW, and CW also slash HBO Max. HBO Max, whatever. Yeah. Um, so again, there's so many different female superheroes out there. Um, and again, yeah, if you really want to think about it, you don't really have to call them female superheroes, but got to accentuate the fact that we are talking about superheroes that are obviously the women out there of power, I guess you can say. Now, you know, with all the history and vastness Mm -hmm. of female superheroes, It would have taken us a lot longer if we would have just went down fully and did a list for right. DC Marvel. We just wanted to touch on some of the ones that we liked, right? But also ones that are very notable. And actually, one more I want to quickly throw in there from Marvel Comics: uh, Kitty Pride. Yeah. Again, uh, one of the first. Uh, well, she was actually introduced as probably the first, I think, Jewish female comic book character. Yes. Yes. I yes. mean they. They had other characters who were obviously Jewish, like Magneto and um, Ben Grimm. But, you know, she was the first female superhero who was Jewish. And again, this girl who, again, has a a vast amount of potential, even to the point where she's currently the leader of the Marauders, I think, in the current comics. Yeah, so again, she was one of those ones that has kind of floated around. Um, Ileana Rasputin Magic, as we talked about earlier a little bit. Uh, there's there's just a lot. I mean, right. we, we could easily go and make a list for each comic book right. company. but That would probably each require its own, own episode. Yeah, and it's hard to put those together because even with those, trying to figure out a top ten of the who's who for each company, 
I mean, there's some that Monkey may think or would be top 10. Oh, yeah, definitely. And then some that I would think would be top 10. And it would be a lot more time debating on why this person deserves to be on the You're list. Debater. Anyways. So I think, to, I think tonight we covered quite a bit. You know, could there be more? Yes, but unfortunately there are time limits. Right. And eventually down the road, possibly even season five, we may do more company-based superhero list. I mean, if top if um, top ten nerd can do it, we can do it too. I think we're better than top ten nerd. We're way cooler. And we're also cooler online. Yeah, that is true. I, I, I gain a foot in height and I lose a bunch of weight. <laughs> so, so much cooler online. Yeah. All right, so thank you to my co-host, as always, my best friend, my hetero life mate, the man, the myth, the legend, Monkey, for traversing the digital airwaves with me tonight. Brother, thank you very much. No problem. Thanks again for having me, Cheshire. And this has been another episode of Cheshire's Place, a looking glass in illogical madness. I've been your host, the melodious one, Mr. Cheshire. And just as my namesake, the Cheshire Cat, I'm everywhere yet nowhere. Stay tuned for next week's two episodes that we will be doing and also a surprise episode tomorrow morning. Have a good night.